Amen. Let's let this year be his year. Amen. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we'll be headed first. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one in front of you in your pews and turn to Matthew 6. Well, it's New Year's, and there's one thing I know about everybody here. No one, no one likes to be told no. Am I right? No one likes to be told no. The minute someone says no to us, what wells up inside of us? A yes! You know, kids are great on this, right? Uh, they, they, well, maybe they're bad about this. You say no to a kid, and they're saying yes in their mind before you're even done telling them no. And if you tell them, no, don't cross this line, what are they going to do? They're going to get as close to that line as they can, and the second your head turns, mom, what are they going to do? They're going to put their toe across that line at a minimum, if not jump across it. But you know what? Adults, us adults, are, aren't any better. In fact, I think we even get worse, because here's what happens as adults when you're told no. You think in your mind, and I think in my mind, you know, I've lived long enough, I've experienced enough, I'm smart enough, wise enough, you know what? I know how to get around that no. I know how to handle the consequences of disobeying it, and I can go beyond it. But I went ahead and titled this sermon, God's No-No's for the New Year, realizing that everything in human nature is, I don't want to be told no. But here's the good news. Learning to obey God's no-no's is and can be life-changing. And here's why. Our Creator and our Redeemer tells us no for at least three good reasons. So by way of introduction to God's no-no's for a new year, I want to give you three good reasons God tells us no and why we should listen to Him. First of all, He tells us no to protect us. He tells us no to protect us. Listen, God's not a divine sadist out to cause you pain. God's not out to hurt us. He's out to help us. So when he tells us no, it's for our own protection. I remember growing up, I don't know where we got this idea. We decided to build a bomb. And so we built the bomb. The bomb was, well, I don't know if I should tell this, but uh, the bomb was you take that cardboard tube that you used to have ha on hangers and you put your pants over that tube. It was hollow tube, very strong. And if you cut it like down to about six or eight inches, it just made for a great little bomb. Because what you did is you took all the firecrackers you had and emptied all the gunpowder in them, put a little stuffing on each end, and for some unknown reason put a metal cap on each end, and you had a bomb. Now, by God's grace, we talked about making the bomb with my buddy uh, outside our front door while my mom was in the living room. So we come in, and mom says, where's the bomb? And of course, like every smart kid, I go, what bomb? You know, and, she's, and you know, anyway, she said, no, you can't do that. Why? To protect us, to protect us from our own foolishness. Listen, the three no-nos that we're going to look at this morning are for our own protection and to ignore them will cause greater harm to our lives and relationships. Secondly, God tells us no to provide for us, to provide for us. Listen, God's not a cosmic killjoy out to ruin your new year or your life for that matter. God's not out to steal our fun, but to give us greater joy, greater joy. So when he tells us no, it's to provide something better for us. God said, God's no always means there's a greater yes on the other side of our obedience. He's providing something better. When you think about it, Adam and Eve, when they were created, God had only one, one, and only one no-no. Don't eat of the tree at the center of the garden. But he had a multitude of yeses. God's not a cosmic killjoy. He's about saying yes, but when he says no, it's to provide us something better. So these three no-nos this morning are for our own provision, and to ignore them will call us, cause us to miss out on something greater that God has for us. And the third good reason God says no to us is this, to promote 
His glory, our joy, and the good of others. Listen, God is not just some religious idea that people came up with in the past to control people and to stunt their growth and to limit their development. A lot of people think about God that way today. He's a religious idea. But God's not out to exploit us. He's out to expand us. He wants to, when He tells us no, it's to promote what's best in this life and in the life to come. God's no always means there's greater growth on the other side of our obedience. So obeying God's no-nos in the new year will further His glory, it will further our growth, and I promise you, it will be for the good of others. In fact, the good of all peoples in the entire earth. So, to kick off this new year, let's look at three of God's no-nos. And these three are especially practical at the beginning of a new year. I mean, there's all sorts of things that God says no for our good and for His glory. But here's three that I think we ought to be thinking about here on the first Sunday of the first day of the new year. So three no-nos for the new year. And here's the first one. Have a no-worry new year. Can I get an amen? Have a no-worry new year. Now, no one here has to take lessons on how to worry. We're not going to have how to worry equipping classes, okay, at Glenwood. We don't have to do that. It just comes naturally to everyone in this room. I don't know what your worries are for the new year, but it wasn't hard for me to list a couple of mine. Launching my favorite daughter, yes, my only one, but she's still my favorite, into college life. Finding the best college that will fit her shape, but more than anything, paying for the best college that will make, uh, will fit her life. Those are some of the big worries that I have. Now, I have all sorts of other ones, worries about our country, worries about our culture. I've got all sorts of lists, but here's my point. To have a no-worry New Year, the first thing you ought to do, and I encourage you to do this today, is write down what your worries are. Write them down. You say, well I, I, well, I worry about them all the time. I don't have to write them down. No, put them on paper. Put them on paper this afternoon. Put them on paper tonight before you go to bed and list. It's good to get them on paper. And then once you have your big worries for the new year, I want you to read Matthew 6, 25 through 34. So look in your Bibles. Look in your Bibles in Matthew 6, 33, uh, 25 through 34. In this passage... It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking directly to us about worry. Worry is mentioned five times in this passage, and three times Jesus very clearly says, do not worry. It's a big no-no for the new year. So let's take a look at Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Follow along as I read. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now here's the kicker. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, in this passage, the first thing we see, what is worry? What is it that we're not supposed to do? Here's a good definition of worry. Agonizing over a future we cannot predict or control 
as if God's not good enough to care for us. Agonizing over a future we cannot predict or control, and according to this passage, as if God isn't good enough to care for us. You see, worry is wasting energy on things you can't control. Most of what we worry about never actually happens. Mark Twain said this, My life has been filled with calamities, some of which actually happened. Okay, did you get that? You know, I mean, we just worry, oh, 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 you know, some of which actually happened. There seems to be nothing more fictitious than the worry that goes on in our heads, and there's a study that proves it. Researchers at the University of Cincinnati found that 85% of what we worry about never happens. 85% of what you and I are worried about ain't going to happen. So here's the question this morning. Here's what I want you to think for yourself. How much of what you worried about in 2016 actually happened? Okay? And I want to ask you this. If it did happen... What did your worry do to change it or prevent it? In other words, worry is useless. It's a waste of energy. Charlie Brown was sitting next to Linus, and he said, Worry won't stop the bad stuff from happening. It just stops you from enjoying the good. And old Peanuts had a lot of wisdom in there. But you know, worry's no joke. It causes serious serious complications in our lives, not just spiritually, but even physically. The stress reactions that worry excites flood our brains with stress hormones, and this makes us more prone to disease and emotional problems. Stress hormones also weaken higher brain function, reducing our memory, the capacity to learn, and the ability to sustain peak performance. In other words, students, worry decreases your learning capability. And seniors who worry are twice as likely to develop dementia. Worry is the threshold to clinical depression. Now, the point is this. God's telling us, do not worry. Because it causes physical, emotional, but also spiritual damage. And that's because ultimately, worry is a sin. Now, why is worry a sin? It's a sin because according to this passage in Matthew 6, it is rooted in a lack of trust in God's goodness. Worry is rooted in a lack of trust. Listen, worry's not just bad for you, it's sinful in the eyes of God. Worry forgets that we have a Heavenly Father who knows what we need before we even know it. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. Yet your Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Don't forget how much you're worth to your heavenly Father. Look at verse 31. Do not worry, for Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but your heavenly Father... Listen, worry forgets that you have a heavenly Father that knows what you need and is eager to give it to you. Worry refuses to bring our needs and fears before the heavenly fa our Heavenly Father and leave them there in His hands, knowing that He loves us and cares for us, and He'll give us what we need when we need it. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about the goodness of our Father God in this Sermon on the Mount. Earlier in Matthew 6, look at verses 7 and 8. Earlier in Matthew 6, he says, When you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. In other words, we got to get God's attention. Hey, God, you know, like a little kid taking your dad's face and, and, and pulling him in and saying, I want something. We don't have to do that. Listen, what does he say? He says, so do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then later, in Matthew 7, look in Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11. In Matthew 7, 9 through 11, He says, Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, is going to give him a stone? Hey, Dad, I'm hungry. Here, gnaw on this rock a little bit. 
Or if he asks for a fish, he'll give him a snake. Oh, you need a fish to eat? Hey, wrestle with this snake. My wife would love it. If you then, being evil, which Gwen would say that would be very evil, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Listen, worry forgets the Father goodness of our Father God. Worry does not trust God and His goodness. So, here's the first step to being free of worry in the new year. It begins with confessing that it's a sin. Agree with God that is in fact a sin. Listen, don't whitewash that. Don't say, well, yeah, we all worry, I worry, everybody worries. No, it's a sin. Agree with God that it's a sin. And then admit that our worry implies that God is not enough. We just sang. We just sang that God is enough. But if we worry this afternoon, we're saying He's not enough. Worry implies, according to Francis Chan, a Christian author and speaker, worry implies that we don't quite trust God as big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. It's a subtle suggestion that God is either unable or unwilling to care for our welfare. You see, a worry is an attack on the goodness of God in His wise plan for our lives. So, that begs the question, what should we replace worry with? And I think the answer in Matthew 6 and throughout the Bible is this, a prayerful trust. Replace worry with praying, a prayerful trust in the goodness of God and His promises to us in Christ. We worry because we don't know God's promises well enough, and we don't know God's goodness well enough. Listen, what, I don't know what's going to take place this coming year. Some things took place this last year that blew me away, that caused me sorrow, that brought sadness into the life of family and friends and our church family. We don't know what's going to happen this coming year. But we know that God is causing all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. That's the promise of Romans 8, 28. We know that the good in that passage is God is going to make us more like His Son through whatever happens. Whatever you're worried about, even if it happens, it's going to make you better. It's going to make you more like Jesus. That's what God promises in this passage. So, the bitter events of 2017, and there will... Let's don't, you know, you know, let's don't fool ourselves. There's going to be some hard times in this coming year. Sooner than some of us expect, worse than we could imagine. I don't know, I'm not predicting Y2K again. I'm just saying, we live in a fallen world. So when those bitter events come, realize God and His sovereign goodness is going to make you a better believer because of it. Therefore, let's welcome this new year with no worries. And instead of worrying, cultivate a growing understanding of the Father heart of God and His ability and willingness to provide for you. This is what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's saying, look, look how God provides for creation. You're worth so much more than the birds of the air. You're made in His image. His Son died to redeem you from your sins. You are an heir and a co-heir with Christ. You think if He takes care of birds, He's not going to take care of you? Get a greater understanding of the fatherhood of God. And get and increasingly view things from an eternal kingdom perspective. Because at the end of the day, in verse 33, this is what he says to us. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things that you are so worried about, he will take care and provide for you. I like how Luke 12 says it. For all these things, the nations of the world eagerly seek. Your father knows that you need these things. Now listen to what he says. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. 
That's what we're living for. That's what we're waiting for. So substitute prayer for worry. After all, why prayer about the why worry about the unknown when you can pray about it? Listen to the hymn. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You see, prayer occupies your mind with the thoughts of God when done properly. See, the problem is many of us mistake worrying for praying. We kind of worry in front of God, and we think that's praying. When in fact, praying is claiming the promises of God and meditating on the goodness of God so that your worry is left behind. So, Philippians 4, 6-7, through 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and what happens? The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Replace worry with a trust in God and His goodness. Isaiah 26.3, I believe you have it in your notes. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. In fact, Jeremiah 17 says this, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. Now listen, it does not fear when the heat comes. It leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So let me encourage you to join me in saying this. I will strive to have a no-worry New Year because worry is a sin that reveals a lack of trust in God and His goodness. Now, I've asked Audra Glaufelty to come and give a testimony about this, not because she's conquered worry. I don't have... No, no. She hasn't conquered worry, but she has certainly grown in this process. Um, as Pastor Chris said, no one had to teach me how to worry. Um, I'm naturally a worst-case scenario kind of person. Um, to compound that, I've always had a deep need to feel accepted. So constantly going through my head is, is this going to make me look stupid? What if this person doesn't like me? What if I'm alone and miserable my whole life? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, worry is one of those no-nos that to me didn't seem like that big of a deal. Like no murdering, okay, sure. Um, no idols, sure. But no worrying, that's not that big of a deal, right? Which leads me to something else I'm really good at, pretending like there isn't a problem. Um, even with the flood of worries and panic that constantly is flooding my mind, I try to pretend like everything's okay. But eventually it became harder and harder to pretend like I was fine. The worry kept leaking out. Um, it came to a point in my life where it was hard to even get through the day without bursting into tears or feeling like I needed to run away. But it was through that time that God constantly reminded me of who he is, that he loves me no matter what, that he is always with me, that nothing that happens ever takes him by surprise, that no matter whether my worries are founded or like so many of them unfounded, I'm learning to rest in the fact that God is good and he is in control. So my goal for this new year is to continue to renew my mind with his truths. Um, something I've started is every day on the way to work, I listen to verses that remind me of who he is and who I am in him. Um, in the midst of a stressful situation, I'm learning to pause and pray instead of stew and worry. Um, as Pastor Chris said, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is a verse that I'm constantly reminding myself of. We can confidently go to God in prayer. We can lay our requests at his feet. We can then confidently leave them there because he will take care of them. So my prayer for this new year is that God's peace will guard our hearts and our minds as we learn to trust him in all situations. Man, it's just good to see God's goodness at work in the life of our sister. Amen? 
And so let's just say that together. I will strive to have a no-worry New Year because I trust in the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. So there's your first no-no for the New Year. It'll, it'll, it'll be good. Here's the second no-no, and it's this. Have a no-boast New Year. Have a no-boast New Year. And to see this, we need to turn to James chapter 4. So again, open your Bibles, take your Bibles, turn on your Bibles. I don't know what you do, but whatever you do, get in the Word of God. In James chapter 4, James chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. Here's God's no-no on boasting. James 4, 13 through 16. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet, you, don't know, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Kind of like when you, you, you blow on your glasses to clean them, a little vapor appears, and if you don't hurry, get the rag there to clean it, it's gone, right? You go out in the cold and you talk, and the vapor goes out, and poof, you're gone. You know what? That's what we are. In light of eternity, we're nothing but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. It's a no-no for the new year. So what is boasting according to this passage? Well, I think it's pretty clear. Boasting is arrogantly, arrogantly planning like we can predict and control the future. I know what I'm going to do. I know how it's going to play out. I even know how much profit I'm going to make from what I do. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow. But notice what he says about it. Look at verse 16 again. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Now, think about what we're seeing. Boasting is the flip side of worrying. Worriers are not boasters. And boasters are not worriers. But both are rooted in a proud heart. So think about it. Worry is agonizing over a future we can't predict or control. And boasting is the opposite. It's arrogantly talking and acting like we really can predict and control the future. In this passage, it's such a short passage, but in this passage, the proud person boasts about where they're going to be in the future. I'm going to go to this city. How long they're going to be there. I'm going to spend a year there. What they're going to do there, I'm going to engage in some business, and how it's going to all turn out, I'm going to make a profit. Both boasting and worrying are rooted in a proud heart, listen to me, that turns the future into an idol we fear and worship rather than worshiping God. You see, when we worry, we turn the future into an idol that we fear. And when we boast, we turn it into a God that we worship. In other words, we turn it in ourselves into God and say, I'm the captain of the ship of my life, and I'm going to control it. Now, why is that a sin? Well, because it's rooted in a lack of trust in God's greatness. Listen, when we boast... Like it, like it says in James about what we can't control or predict. Basically, we're saying we're God. Listen, the freedom from boasting begins with confession, just like worrying. You've got to agree with God that boasting is, in fact, a sin. And you've got to admit that boasting or leaving... Or listen, and, 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 and boasting is, you know, some of our personalities are more low-key. And so you're thinking, well, this isn't, you know, I know who this applies to, you know. You know, you know that guy, that gal that's always bragging and talking and so big about everything. No, if we leave God out of our planning, that's boasting. You know, if we live, if we quietly go about our lives, leaving God out and not making Him the center, not recognizing the sovereign greatness of our God who's in control of all things, both the good, the bad, and the ugly, He's in control of all of it. 
working it together for good, but he's in control of it. That's how great our God is. But boasting implies, we have to admit that boasting or living God, leaving God out of our plans implies that we're greater than God. Boasting implies that we don't need to trust God because we are the ones that are big enough. We are the ones powerful enough. We are the ones that are wise enough to take care of what's happening. Why pray? Why put God at the center? Why surrender our plans to Him when, hey, we can pull this off without Him? You see, it's a subtle suggestion that we're greater than God. Boasting is an attack on God's greatness and sovereign plan for our lives. Now, all boasting and planning is not evil. So don't leave here saying, Chris said, don't plan for the new year. No, that's not it. In fact, the Bible says Paul was a biblical bragger. It's okay to be a biblical bragger. Here's the things you can boast about. Paul boasted in his sufferings. Paul boasted in his weakness. Paul boasted in the Lord. Paul boasted in what the Lord was doing in and through his ministry. He boasted in what the Lord was doing in and through the lives and ministries of others. He boasted in the hope of the glory of God. And most of all, he boasted in the cross of Christ. In other words, he boasted in God's greatness and his weakness. So what should we replace boasting with? Well, here we should replace boasting with a humble trust in the greatness of God and His power for us through Christ Jesus. Humbly trust in the greatness of God. Don't brag about what you'll do in 2017. You don't even know what's going to happen this year. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. You know one of the most humble things we could do each morning is as soon as we wake up, humbly thank God that we're alive. Because see, we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the next minute. And every day when we wake up, it's a miracle of God's greatness to sustain us again. And even if you did, you know, even if you did boast about tomorrow, you and I are powerless to do anything about it. Basically what he's saying, look, worry, it won't even add an hour to your life. And guess what? Boasting, you're just a vapor in the midst of God's greatness. So let me give you three ways to replace boasting in our greatness with boasting in His greatness. Let me, let me just give you these. They're, they're not in your... You just, just don't act as if you can control the future. That's the first thing. Don't act as if you can control the future. After all, we're not all present like God is. I can't control because basically I'm always here and there's all these things going out there. I'm not everywhere. So I can't control everything. Don't think you can do and get whatever you want this year. We're not all powerful, but God is. And don't be overconfident about your plans. Make plans, but don't be overconfident. After all, we're not all-knowing like God is. You see, the deal is, we're not God. We're not omnipresent. We're not omnipowerful. We're, we're not omni-able to do that which we desire to do. Therefore, we need to qualify our plans, like James tells us in verse 15, if the Lord wills. Now, I have this in your notes, Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And that's the promise you bank on. That's the promise. Here's what Paul, a biblical bragger, here's what he said. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So here's what we need to do for this new year. I will strive to have a no-boasting New Year. Amen? A no-boasting New Year because boasting is a sin that reveals a lack of trust in God and His greatness. And so I've asked uh, uh, Rick to come, not again because he's conquered boasting, but because God's greatness has been at work in his life. Rick?
Thank you, Chris. Good morning. Happy New Year. <clears throat> By all measure, uh, in the late 80s and early 90s, I was successful. I, uh, I was married to uh, a beauty pageant winner. I had two kids, a dog, a comfortable house. Um, I had a job with uh, good pay and good benefits. And I'd started a secondary business uh, that was really taking off. I'd, uh, it was a car stereo shop. And uh, it, uh, it fulfilled a dream that I'd had for a long time. It became quite successful to where it was consuming all of my time. and. Uh, but there were benefits to it. I, um, within the community of the car stereo industry, uh, I was a big shot. I, uh, when I went to the electronic show, people fought for my time. I was interviewed for magazines. Um, we were working on uh, fancy exotic cars that I never dreamed I'd have uh, access to. Um, Danny Tartable was playing for the Royals. We did his Ferrari Testarossa. Martin Bayless was playing for the Chiefs. We did his Mercedes uh, AMG. Um, things were good, or so I thought. Um, I was, God was not in a piece of my life. God was absolutely not a part of this. Um, I didn't need him. Um, and uh, my schedule would show that I didn't have time for him. Um, I was working two full-time jobs, and... Um, for two and a half years, I did not have a complete day off. I was either at one job or the other. But I was managing to keep all these balls in the air, you know. And uh, uh, like I said, I was, you know, I was a big shot. I, I had it going on. And uh, God uh, decided that uh, he needed to get my attention. So uh, he started knocking the balls out of the air while I was trying to juggle them. And... Uh, the fall from grace was uh, dramatic and quick. Um, I started missing time at my primary job because I was too concerned with the shop. When I was away from the shop, my employees were making decisions which weren't necessarily in my best interest, but they didn't know what else to do because I wasn't available. Uh, my wife was upset because I wasn't spending any time at home uh, with the kids, and even when I was there, I wasn't really there. Um, I ended up my wife filed for divorce. Um, I lost the shop. Uh, I moved into a small house in a nasty part of town. Uh, within about a two-week period, uh, my company went on strike. While I was walking picket, my house was broken into and they stole everything. I wrecked my car on the way home from, from the picket lines. Um, I was pretty much at the bottom of the barrel. I mean, I, it got to the, I bought a gun to kill myself. I'd had it. Now, I had not prayed since now I lay me down to sleep as a three-year-old. And I started to pray. But I prayed specifically, you know, make the shop successful again, um, bring my wife back to me, um, you know, let me keep my job, let the, let the strike come to an end. And uh, I wasn't getting results, at least not in my time frame. And finally, I just, I broke. Um, God put me on my knees, and I prayed that whatever he had in store for me, I would accept. And that hopefully at some point that I would find happiness again, whatever that was. And God blessed me by sending an angel directly to me that saved my life. Um, that was Diana, many of you know her. Um, we were together for a period of time. During that time, we came to find faith, understand God's grace, and accepted uh, both of us accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. What I didn't know, but God did, was that as he was sending Diana to me to rescue me, that he was going to be taking her back. But during the time that we had together, he gave me the grace and understanding to accept that. And now... I thank God for everything. Whatever it is, I thank God for it. 
It's all because of him. Every breath I take is due to his grace. And um, it was quite humbling, um, but I wouldn't change it. I'm, if I had to go through what I went through to get to here, I'm fine with that. I understand that. So um, we've all heard it before, but I truly believe that God is good all the time. And finish it with me. All the time, God is good. Thank you very much. Well, let me tell you, that's only the greatness of goodness. To have a front row work through this. And I tell you, it's only the glory of God's greatness that Rick is still here serving the Lord. Imperfect like all of us, but God at work. And so let's say together, I will strive to have a no boasting new year because of a humble trust in God's greatness. That leads us to the third no-no I want to look at, and we'll look at it briefly, and it's this. Have a no waste new year. Have a no waste new year. Do you remember the parable of the rich fool? that Jesus taught to those whose plans in life were all about their own comfort, their own pleasure, and just storing up more material things. Can you relate to that? It's really what Rick was saying. Well, look at Luke 12. Luke 12. Look in your Bibles at Luke 12, verses 15 through 21. Here is a lesson on how to waste your life. Then he said to them, verse 15, Luke 12, verse 15, Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And then he told them this parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive and began to reason to himself. There's the first mistake. Reasoning with oneself rather than submitting to the revelation of God's word. He reasoned to himself, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my stole, I mean, this guy has a love affair with himself. You know, he, he's the wisest person he knows. He's the best friend he has in life. So he says to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And then it comes. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? And then Jesus drives it home. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So is the man or the woman who wastes his life. So what is a wasted life according to this parable? Acting, acting like we can live any way we want without any eternal consequence or divine judgment or ultimate accountability before God. You see, this is something we see over and over in the Bible. People who live for themselves according to their own plans and their own pleasure, whether that pleasure be their own family, their own work, their own job, their own hobbies, their own religious good works, or their own American dream disguised as cultural Christianity. Then they die. Boom! This is the pattern in the Bible. Then they die and they stand before the Creator and, or their Redeemer, and they discover they've wasted their lives. And you know what the pattern in the Bible is? When that happens, they want to do two things. They want to go back and have a do-over, or they want to go back and warn their loved ones. And God says, you can't do either. You can't go back and get a do-over, and you can't go back and warn them because it's appointed unto people once to die, and then this is the judgment. And God says in His Word that a risen Lord and a written Bible are sufficient to warn us how not to waste our lives. 
So if you really think about this parable, we waste our lives by leaving God out of our plans. We waste our lives by living for our own comfort rather than God's cause. Listen, don't waste this new year by living for your own cultural comfort. Instead, live with a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. Live to love God and to love others and to get the gospel around this world and through this church and to your neighbors and to your workers. Live for God's cause and not your own. And the third way that this man wasted his life is by laying up treasure on earth instead of heaven. Now, it becomes pretty obvious, doesn't it, why a wasted life is sin, but let's look at it. Why is a wasted life a sin? It's rooted in a lack of trust in God's grace. It's rooted in a lack of trust. You see, to every believer here this morning, God has given you abundant grace, which is the power and desire to do His will. In other words, we're without excuse. If we're wasting our lives, it's because we have neglected the grace of God in which we stand in Christ Jesus. You see, too often we're like the, the, the servant in Matthew 25 that buried his talent. And we make excuses. Oh God, you know, it's so hard. And oh God, you're so demanding. And oh God, all these excuses. But we don't have any excuses because we have God's grace in abundance in Christ Jesus. And remember what Jesus said to that servant who buried his talent. You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and I gather where I scattered no seed. In other words, you knew this and you didn't fear me enough to still serve and invest your life. In fact, he says at the end of this parable, throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, wasting our lives may be an indication that we were never born again in the first place, that we lack God's grace. We don't understand His goodness. We don't have never seen His greatness and humbled ourselves to accept Jesus like Rick talked about. Because I can tell you the first step for both Audra and Rick, no matter when it happened in their lives, at one point they humbled themselves and confessed, you're great and you are holy. I am not great and I am not holy and I'm going to trust the grace of God in Christ Jesus. So what should we replace a wasted life with? It's simply this, an obedient trust in the grace of God in His purpose for our lives. Listen, there's no better way to get a hold of God's grace. There's no other way to see God's greatness and His goodness than to spend time in His Word and in prayer. If you go on our Facebook page, there's all sorts of links on, on, our, on, our, on the Glenwood Facebook page, all sorts of links to all sorts of digital downloadable resources. But right there in the back, as a hard copy, is the most flexible Bible reading plan on the planet. And all I'm saying to you is this. When Rick and Diana came into our small group, we were doing a study of the Word of God, and it was through the Word of God that they saw God's greatness. They saw God's goodness, even though they were religious people, somewhat even though they had attended church before. But the point was they haven't encountered the greatness and the goodness and the grace of God in Christ Jesus. So whatever plan you make for the new year, make a plan to spend time alone and with God's people. So here's what we want to say this morning. I will strive to not waste the new year. Can we say that together? I will strive to not waste the new year because wasting my life is a sin that reveals a lack of trust in God and His grace. So here's the conclusion. To have a no-no new year, we must say yes to the Lordship 
of Jesus Christ. Because you see, today, it's only through Jesus Christ and His indwelling Spirit that you can connect with God's goodness, which frees you from worry. You connect with God's greatness, which reminds us not to boast. And we connect with God's grace, which enables us to not waste the wonderful opportunity of this new year. We don't know how long we've got, but we've got today. Amen? And today, there's trouble enough. Don't worry about tomorrow. And today is where you're living now, so don't boast about tomorrow. But today is where we make a difference, so don't waste it. Amen? You see, it's only through Jesus Christ that God's gospel, that we connect with the gospel that tells us that He's done for us in Christ what we could never do. And it's done and it's secure and it'll happen so we don't have to worry. But it's not going to happen without Him working through us. So we've got to do something this year. So with your heads bowed, this is our response time. And as our praise team comes I want you to pray and I commit. I just want you to make this simple commitment during this time. The instruments are going to play. You're just going to be, it's going to be your time to commit to having a no, no new year by saying yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And perhaps you've never been born again or you're just going through the motions of being a believer. You need to be born again. If you're not going to worry, you need to be a child of God and have a heavenly father to care for you. If you're not going to boast, then you need to be born again so that you know the greatness of God. If you're not going to waste your life, then God has to be in your life to be at the center of your life. So if you haven't crossed from unbelief to belief, if you haven't crossed from darkness to light, if you haven't crossed from trusting and worrying about yourself to trusting and giving your worries to Jesus, then would you do that this morning? But I know many of you have already been born again, but you still struggle like, like I do, and Rick has admitted, and Audra has admitted, you struggle with worry and boasting, and maybe this past year you've wasted your life in God's eyes. Well, I pray that you've seen God's goodness this morning. I pray that you've seen God's greatness this morning. I pray that you've seen God's grace in a greater way. So the instruments will pray, will we'll play while we pray. So we can pray and make commitments to the Lord. Listen, let's go to the Lord. Let's respond to Him.